0: Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, and welcome to a very special edition of Fearless with Jason Whitlock. It is Wednesday. Happy Wednesday to you. And on Wednesdays, we are going to try to do a show directed at promoting harmony, in particular, racial harmony. Uh, We want to use this platform to try to undermine the racial divisiveness that has overtaken this country. And so... I have a very special Wednesday show planned for us every week. This will be the first attempt at that. I'm gonna start where I always start, by starting a fire and and laying a foundation for discussion for the entire show. All right, earlier this week, a Twitter user asked me an annoying and racially charged question. He said, I saw you talk about Maria Taylor and Rachel Nichols' situation. Why as a black man do you hate black people, black women in particular? I'm just asking so I can understand why you don't get it. End of the tweet. I do not hate black people. It's a ridiculous allegation, but it's an accusation I hear frequently over social media. It's a claim worth addressing. Twitter is ground zero for the promotion of critical race theory, an academic construct that argues that all aspects of American life from political policy to social engagement can be explained by anti-black racism. My Twitter accuser likely has no idea that a 40-year-old academic theory fuels his slanderous charge against me. Social media teaches black users and their alleged allies to answer displeasing criticism with the cry of racism or anti-blackness. For many people, CRT is a new religion, a replacement critical Biblical scripture. They have been programmed by social media and corporate media to analyze the world through a secular racial lens. I think that's a huge mistake, a very big mistake. I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, told in the Bible, explains the world. That's why on Wednesdays, this show, Fearless with Jason Whitlock, we will try to focus on a Biblical understanding of the world. We will attempt to bring in Two Christian pastors and have them discuss a topic in the news cycle from a biblical point of view. Today, Pastor Bobby Harrington from Nashville's Harpeth Christians Church and Pastor Orpheus Hayward from Atlanta's Renaissance Church of Christ will join me. We're gonna discuss critical race theory. Is it dividing America along racial lines? Is any part of CRT justified in scripture? Can CRT and Christianity coexist? The goal of our Wednesday conversations will be to promote racial harmony through a deeper understanding of the Word of God. America is splintering along racial lines at a level reminiscent of the Civil War. I believe that followers of Christ have a moral responsibility to address and heal the splintering. CBS, aka Critical Biblical Scripture, must replace CRT AKA critical race theory. My Twitter accuser could use a dose of CBS. It would help him see that I don't hate black people. I love all people. My faith dictates that. Hating black people would require me to hate myself, my parents, my siblings, my cousins, and the majority of my friends. I don't hate myself or them. I do want to educate them on the dangers of analyzing the world through a racial, or CRT lens. My faith and worldview put me at odds with disciples of CRT and cultures that contradict the gospel of Jesus Christ. My faith puts me at war with myself first and foremost. I'm hypercritical of my gluttony and my sexual lust. You've heard me talk about my affinity for strip clubs and loose women. I don't have to tell you about my love of gluttony. You can see it for yourself. I don't hate myself. I'm critical of myself because I want to do better, and I am doing better. I've made all kinds of changes in my life because of my faith. I have this same desire for others. My job as a broadcaster and critic requires me to espouse opinions on the actions of others. A set of principles taught to me in the church and reinforced by my experience as a football player That drives my point of view on the issues I discuss on this show and on other platforms. My criticism of Maria Taylor is a byproduct of my belief that her actions and and her dispute with Rachel Nichols are biblically unsound. Nichols sought reconciliation through private and public remorse and repentance. Taylor refused to forgive and work with Nichols. God is crystal clear on forgiveness. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. Ephesians chapter four, verse 32. For if you forgive of other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Matthew chapter six, verse 14. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Mark chapter 11, verse 25. I could go on endlessly. Social media and critical race theory rely on a different set of principles than what's taught in the church and in traditional sports culture. Skin color drives social media and CRT. My worldview isn't driven by race. It's at odds with people who think race explains everything. All right, that's my fire starter. That's the foundation of a discussion we're going to have over the next 30, 40 minutes with two pastors who I think will add some substance and some weight to my argument. Or, hey, they may disagree with me. I'm not an expert on biblical principles. I am a follower of Christ. I'm doing my best to learn as much as I can. That I want to consult experts, Pastor Bobby Harrington, Pastor Orpheus Hayward, I want to consult them for some real expertise so we can dive deeper into these issues. Before we get to them, I want to tell you a little bit about, (laughs) if you choose to believe Google, then all you need to do to surf the internet privately is turn on incognito mode in your browser. And we're supposed to trust big tech with solutions to our online privacy, right? Well, wrong. It doesn't matter what browser mode you use or how often you clear your browsing history, your internet service provider, ISP, can see every single website you've ever visited, and they can even sell your data to advertisers. That's why I use ExpressVPN to keep my own online data secure and private. ExpressVPN makes sure your ISP and third-party trackers can't see your online activity and location. It does that by recruiting your connection through a secure, encrypted server. In fact, ExpressVPN protects all your data, regardless of whether you use incognito mode. ExpressVPN has you covered with easy-to-use apps for computers and mobile devices so you can use the Internet in confidence. All you have to do is tap one button, and you're protected. ExpressVPN is also the fastest and most trusted VPN on the market. That's why they're rated number one VPN by CNET, CNET, and Wired. So protect your online activity today with the VPN that I trust to keep me private. Visit ExpressVPN.com/fearless and you can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's ExpressVPN.com/fearless to learn more. Welcome back to a special edition of Fearless with Jason Whitlock. We're going to call this Tennessee Harmony where we try to promote a discussion that brings some racial understanding and harmony, not just here in Tennessee, but across America. We're going to do that by inviting in two ministers, to help me have a discussion about whatever's in the news cycle. This week, we are honored to be joined by uh, Dr. Orpheus Hayward from Atlanta, and my friend since I've been here in Nashville, Pastor Bobby Harrington, who's befriended me and given me some advice and counsel ever since I moved to Nashville last August. Guys, thank you so much uh, for joining me. Before we get started, I want to invite the Holy Spirit into the room, and the best way that I know to do that is to ask two ministers to lead us in prayer. And so if, if Bobby, you could start us off, and then Orpheus, you wrap up the prayer, we'll get the discussion started. That's a great way to start a program. <laughs> I'm happy to do it. God, we
1: just pray, and we invite your presence in the name of
2: Jesus. Orpheus? Orpheus? Father, we thank you for the opportunity, and we pray that all things said will be informative and hopefully, Father, in harmony with your will and way. Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much, and I I just want to get right to it. Critical race theory is in the news cycle almost every day. Some parents are protesting at school board meetings. Uh, Others are wondering what the fuss is about. I have to be honest, I don't have a complete understanding of critical race theory. And so, Bobby, I know this is something you've looked into quite a bit. And so if we could just start with your understanding of critical race theory. And and I think I know your position because we've talked about it in the past, but why you think it's dangerous. Yeah, sure. I'm
1: glad to. In fact, I think we have a couple of slides just to make it real simple. So let me start off with a, a contrast between critical race theory and what the Bible teaches. Jason, you mentioned as we started that it goes back like 40 years. Yeah. yeah, That's probably right. Like in the 70s, it started as a legal theory was discussed in like Harvard and places like that. But I don't think it really hit uh, the mainstream university campuses until about 20 years ago. And even that, it really wasn't highlighted until about 10 years ago. The reason I'm saying that is this morning I was on a Zoom call with three pastors of churches in other states, and they were wanting to talk about it because they, they missed that in their seminary education in the 90s. They all missed it. So I think it's, it's really important. A lot of people uh, just don't have information. So we're going to start off with some contrasts. On the left-hand side is critical theory and on the right-hand side is biblical faith. So let me just start off with it. First, uh, in critical theory, my identity is based on my gender, race, or sexual orientation. That means that my primary way of identifying or identifying others is based on those elements. In biblical faith, my identity is being based on, well, first of all, we're all created uh, going back to Adam and Eve. So we're all from that same root. but my identity is based on being in Christ. So Orpheus and I were talking in the makeup room beforehand. And because we're in Christ, our primary identity is our Christian identity. We're brothers and everything flows out of that. And by the way, that's really Uh, in the best sense, the judo-Christian foundation uh, that we've lived by over the last 200 years, although it had to be adjusted, and I'm sure we'll get into that through the civil rights movement.
0: Let's pause for one second. Orpheus, is there anything you want to add to that or can add to that first part?
2: I actually agree with that. When we talk about critical race theory, um, it is true it started out as a critique of legislation, uh, a concern in regards to how we identify ourselves in terms of race. Like anything, I think something can start with some level of a genuine perspective and then morph into a humanistic perspective. And I think that's where these things kind of go left, and we have to be forced back into a Bible perspective so that we don't get caught in that humanistic perspective. I think some of the concerns are valid, yet the answers must be uh, found in God. And this is where I believe the body of Christ as a metaphor in scripture, describes unity. And we are to be the best example to humanity of what humanity should be like. So to that end, I think that critical race theory has uh, areas individualistically that are valid, but sometimes morph into a humanistic perspective where the emphasis becomes so much on race that we forget the solution of Jesus Christ to bring this all to a a conclusion.
0: Bobby, go
1: keep explaining. All right. All right. Uh, second, the second uh, contrast we want to show is that uh, in critical race theory, truth is based on the intersections of the ways I identify. Mm. So in critical theory, which is the broader umbrella of critical race theory, uh, I'm a, a white, older white man. <laughs> so that's who I am. Like, that's how you understand me. Whereas mm. Orpheus uh, is a younger
2: African-American. Young, vibrant African-American. There you go.
1: Uh, Whereas the ideal person today would be a, probably a transgender African-American woman. And the reason for that is the primary identity is based on these externals that we're talking about. Uh, Whereas in in scripture, truthfulness and how you assess things is based upon that God, you know, teaches us to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Mm. And so we're going to look at things through the lens of what's true, what does scripture teach us about life and how can they guide us? Mm -hmm. Mm. Third contrast, unless you want to jump
0: in. Only if Orpheus wants to jump in. You guys are the expert. I want (laughs) you guys to drive this discussion.
2: No. So, I mean, I'm I'm tracking along with, with what he's saying. Yes. (laughs) Uh,
1: Thirdly, and this is a big thing. uh, The traditional family should be rejected. There are no norms. And so in critical theory, uh, you definitely see that the nuclear family is a problem. Whereas according to biblical faith, a traditional family or the single life is ideal that we go back to the creation account in the Garden of Eden, where God says it's not good for man to be alone. And so he uh,
0: brings Eve to Adam. So those are the first ones. Uh, I want to respond to that one because that one is personal for me. It's something I have deeply struggled with. And it's one of the, I I lived in Los Angeles the last Mm -hmm. 10 years. And I feel like I felt like I needed to escape Los Angeles. I, I, a lot of bad habits, uh, a lot of loving to go to Vegas, uh, a commitment to the single life, a commitment to uh, a non monogamous life. And, and that was part of my worldview. It's, I literally would tell people that I thought the key to happiness was a lack of responsibility. And so I rejected. Virtually all responsibility in terms of a mate and having to be responsible to her Kids having to be responsible to them. My happiness I thought was driven by a lack of responsibility and Part I've discussed this because it was when I left Fox Sports uh, I had a successful TV show. I was making a lot of money and people didn't understand why I wanted to do something else and perhaps leave Los Angeles. How, this, this is paradise. This is mm. perfect. And, and I felt like in order for me to get my right life and more in alignment with God, I had to leave Los Angeles. Huh. I had to be in an environment where I could get my mind right and start making better decisions in my life. And it, it took it was it was probably a four year transformation of just start like starting to understand like what is money and all this freedom. Idle minds a devil's playpen. Uh, Las Vegas is certainly a devil's playpen, and <laughs> and I'm out here playing in it constantly. And it took me about you know just like really think and I started making changes in my life all the way to the point of like you know what, unless they make this TV show perfect for me. I'm going to leave here and do something else. And it's been one of the greatest decisions I've made. Not not to you know, you can be a Christian and you can be a responsible person in Los Angeles. I couldn't. And so <laughs> I needed to leave. And it's been one of the great decisions of my life. Yeah.
1: That's great. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: Anyway, Bobby, continue.
1: All right. Let's look at uh, the next set of contrasts. So in critical theory, uh, women must be freed from traditional manhood. Uh, uh, historically the way manhood has been understood, uh, it's inherently oppressive. Whereas according to scripture, first of all, well, let me just say this, according to scripture, God calls men to be servant leaders in their families. And, uh, we think that's the best vision of, of manhood, obviously in marriage, uh, Men have a unique role to be like Jesus to their wives. Now, can I just say to you, by the way, way to go for your choices, uh, and uh, just I'm still working, Bobby. But yeah, I hear you. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, way to go. All right, hold on, hold on. I, I do want the whole reason for me telling that story, and I'm glad you've taken it where it is, is that Orpheus. I believe these issues, particularly this one about man leadership. Yeah. Jesus to his family. And I think these are really central to issues affecting us as black people. Right. Could you speak to that?
2: Yeah, I I really believe that the attack on manhood in general uh, is a dominant theme in our culture. Whereas I think the response has been to the malignancy of manhood. But the concept of biblical manhood stands firm. And I think when we see people leave the paradigm of manhood or what uh, or what is God's perspective, then we judge that as if there's something with manhood as a concept. I think Bobby's right that it's about servant leadership. And when that is manifested, um, I think that is the proper perspective of manhood. Again, letting God define it. I think in the African-American culture um, there, there are so many elements that have affected how we do manhood in our families. But what we have often done is we have allowed ourselves to get to this place of rejecting the role of the man altogether because of a set of malignancies that have happened in our history. And then we divorce from the ideal. And then we accept that, well, man is uh, a father's not needed in the home or this old idea of uh, the man is not a necessary element to the family unit. Who are we to attack the family unit of God When that is how it's been set up, that is the authority and God has given us what a family dynamic looks like. What we've done is we've seen that paradigm left. And then because that paradigm was forsaken, we then take the leap to say, well, the man's role in the home is not necessary. Uh, The woman does not need a man in the home. And then we get to these spaces where I think we get very opinionated and humanistic And we completely divorce from God's paradigm. I think it's negative. And I think it's uh, I think somebody needs to ask God, hey, how did you intend for this to work? Rather than redefining it and then coming up with some new paradigm. I think that's fundamentally some of the issues.
0: One of the problems I run into Orpheus and and Bobby, you can speak to this if, if if you'd like as well. But like I started the show talking about this Twitter user and this criticism. Yeah people that watch this show and follow my narrative and the columns and things I've said for a long time is I think that they're trying to just on the world and particularly in the United States, Mm. we want a matriarchal culture. I I honestly believe that's what they're working towards. And I don't think that works because I don't think that's what God prescribed. And we've all been made ashamed of masculinity. Masculinity is now toxic, all forms of it. And I'm just sorry, I don't believe that's true. There is toxic masculinity, but it's not all masculinity. And I, I, I actually believe that the, there's, and please correct me if I'm wrong, biblically, because this is just, I have naive thoughts a lot of times. But I actually believe the patriarchy is superior to the matriarchy. I, I. Well,
1: <clears throat> let me just, no, no, no. we, we jump in because uh, patriarchy is a really bad thing to, to say uh, in most contexts today. So, uh, you know, you're just advocating that patriarchy or you're just a, the, the compliment to it is you're just a misogynist, you know, you hate women. And so the, the DAC is stacked for a conversation. We, we recommend the concept of complementarity between men and women, where men and women are different and men are called in the home and in the church to uh, what we call male spiritual leadership and where we're called to be like Jesus. And you are exactly right. There is an assault on manhood. In fact, the ideal man today is often, you know, uh, a gender neutral man and uh, it's not what God teaches. And a lot of churches, by the way, are caving on this point as well. And so to speak clearly on this, the Bible is very clear. In fact, that we just completed a series at Renew.org on this topic about manhood and what God calls men to be. And it's not the toxic masculine guy who is oppressive, and it's not the passive man who just doesn't know who he is. It's the purposeful, godly man who's going to be like Jesus and who leads courageously. In fact, I have a great uh, definition. When my Mm -hmm. son became 18, we did a manhood ceremony, and I gave him a a definition of manhood and a plaque that he still has. And uh, a godly man is what we call a real man. He rejects passivity. He expects God's greater reward. He accepts responsibility and leads courageously. And I think that's a pretty good summary of what the Bible says. I just want to say well, a lot of churches and a lot of people are caving on this point now. Yeah. But you asked us, what does the Bible
2: say? I think when we, uh, along with um, Brother Harrington, just indicated what an incredible responsibility to step into the feet of Jesus, onto the shoes of Jesus as a man, where the Bible does this incredible explanation of how Christ loves His church. It it pictures Him as this husband. And everything in that context is about what he does for his spouse. What an awesome picture that it's not about being a dictatorial man, but it's not about being a passive man. It's about being intentional to nourish the one who is connected to me. And I think if we start seeing how God defines manhood within a servant leader context, it's good. then it's no longer this malignant view of a dictatorial man that's oppressive, But one who has the opportunity to step into the shoes of Jesus and then nourish his spouse as Christ nourishes the church. And I think if we start getting the definition from that perspective, then we can celebrate manhood. Then the woman can celebrate manhood because she doesn't have, she's not defining manhood based on the experiences she had. So I had a bad experience with my father and or husband. Therefore my definition of manhood is this mm-hmm. where we need to invite her back into know this is God's definition of manhood. And what you experienced was an erroneous definition of manhood in which you can celebrate this and connect condemn that. But you don't need to condemn manhood universally. I think we need to celebrate the manhood that God defines.
0: And so good. it's awesome. And so both of you guys, I think it's hard for women or anybody to do that when mm. the popular mainstream culture Absolutely. puts the toxic man front and center Absolutely. in music, in movies. <laughs> yeah in television shows, I, I think about the shows that I like and enjoy, The Sopranos, yeah. right, right, The Wire, and all this stuff. And, and it's right. like Tony Soprano is about as toxic as, as you can be <laughs> and we idolize him. To, right. uh, Tony Montana from the movie Scarface and all this. <laughs> we, we keep putting and celebrating the worst men in our wow. culture yeah. and then we look around and say, and they don't respect us, well, why should they?
2: Mm.
1: Yeah, and if you think about it, if you undermine uh, godly manhood, and I'm just going to call it the Christ-like man, if you undermine that, uh, you undermine marriage, you undermine relationships, you undermine parenting. And what we're seeing today, uh, if you just take the time to look at what's happening with young men in their 20s today that nobody's talking about, you have a lost generation because our culture has told them, don't be a man. And it hasn't said, here's what it is. Nobody can tell you from our culture today, what does it uniquely mean to be a man? Mm. And they can't tell you what it uniquely means to be a woman. And because of that lack of clarity, there's just a, a a fog.
2: Mm. Yeah. um, I really believe in, in concert with that, it's, We have allowed culture to be our dominant definition, and we are orienting ourselves to a culture that I believe Christianity should be, in some context, anti-cultural. I think sometimes Christianity has to go against culture and not just fit within culture. There are times when we speak about methods. Yeah, in, in culture, you can adopt to methodology, but we have to be careful about letting culture define our morality. And so, culture is becoming the dominant way that we've allowed ourselves to be oriented mentally. And we don't know how to differentiate between what is a man wisdom as opposed to a God wisdom. And because we can't differentiate, we walk away with these really malignant definitions. And so, I'm really worried about how much culture does that to us.
1: Next on your list, Bobby. By the way, we describe it that uh, discipling people like discipleship is the core mission of the church. And right now, when it comes to a lot of followers of Jesus, the world is out discipling the church Mm -hmm. and how people think. Yeah, pretty much. All right, let's go on. Uh, So in critical theory, sexual liberation involves consenting people in any sexual behavior. Uh, So it includes uh, the, uh, the LGBTQ. There's a reason that it's so dominant it's dominant because it's liberation but it also fits in with a broader critical theory mindset which most people don't realize and then here's where the attack comes because uh, sexuality in the bible is only for a man one man one woman in the bo- in the bounds of marriage and the bible's pretty mm. clear about that like there's not People want to make ambiguity, but there's not ambiguity there.
2: Yeah, zero.
0: <laughs> I want to. I want you guys to help me understand. If I'm thinking naively, a, a, a new revelation for me over the past couple of years has been my sexual sin of sex outside of marriage, promiscuity. I I've come to my understanding, please correct me if I'm wrong. That sin is it. I don't think it's any worse than homosexuality. I don't think God sees it any differently. And, and I think that if we would approach the alternative lifestyle community with that understanding of like, no, 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 you're just like me. I have a sin of sexuality and promiscuity and, and, and I got to work on it. And that's why we need to be in church. And that's why we need to be seeking guidance from the gospel. A- am I right for that equating those two and, and let's not demonize one group? More, because the, I've been celebrated for going out and just, oh, you were the real man. You did this. Oh, my God. Yeah. Where we demonize the other group right. and create enemies When, if we approached it the way I'm thinking of, maybe we create allies.
2: I think it is one of the symptomatic aspects of self-righteousness. We condemn unrighteousness, but we give self-righteousness a pass. Self-righteous individuals sometimes have a habit of highlighting other sins while diminishing their own. And I think we have approached this conversation from that matter. At our congregation, we have a, a good number of those who would have alternative lifestyles. But never once have they been upset with my position because of the explanation that it is no worse than fornicators. It is no worse than a gossiper. It is, you can do a whole lot of damage with a bad tongue. I mean, you can do a whole lot by being malignant in how you express yourself. Um, I think we need to approach it as you stated. I think it's correct. From the perspective that you have a struggle like I have a struggle and God is inviting us through His grace to be transformed into the image of His Son, where we can be different in our manifestation of behavior. So I think it's it's the way we approach people. We shut them down to the degree they can't hear the transformative message of the gospel because we started with a condemnation that magnified their sin and minimized our own. Yeah. And so I think that perspective has truly destroyed the ability to communicate.
1: I think part of what's going on, too, is if you accept sort of the intersectionality viewpoint of critical theory. When you talk about homosexual sex, you're talking about to them, somebody's identity mm. and, and that mm-hmm. stings much deeper. Um, you know, if you, if you just pull back though and just say, look, we're all made in the image of God. We all have weaknesses. And so many churches never talked about uh, heterosexuality, s- sexual immorality. You don't talk about all the people who struggle with pornography, right. the people in the churches, uh, the, you know, the young men and women who are living together and all that, you, you, you can't just pick on one sexual sin. Outside of a husband and wife in marriage, God just says, those aren't good for us. And uh, the primary identity he wants us to have is we're made in the image of God. And secondly, he wants to redeem us all in the image of Jesus so that we become more and more like Jesus and act more and more like Jesus would act. Our highest aspiration is not to have rules and regulations about sexuality. Our highest aspiration is to live more and more the way Jesus would live if he were living our life in our bodies. Mm -hmm. Next. All right. The last one uh, is that uh, uh, any form Uh, of marriage is good. Uh, One of the biggest things you're going to see coming up more now is polyamory, which is, uh, you know, people living, uh, two women living with one man, that kind of thing. No marriage at all. So there's no vision of uh, marriage being a covenant commitment between one man and one woman as the norm and as what we would desire for all people
0: we're going to end here and and not end but we're going to take a break and then transition because i've asked these guys to give me some scriptures that I, we can share with you all, share with myself that back up our point of view, help our level of understanding and and then when we come back i i want to run my theory uh it's not a theory, it's 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 just my belief, but I, I want these guys to explain it more biblically. I, I think I look at what's going on in the world, but in America in particular. This is good versus evil. This is Satan hmm. versus believers. And I think there's some believers that can't see that and 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 don't see that like Bobby just talked about, and I, I'm, I'm not going to apologize for my belief. I've said to people, I'm not married because for a long time, and when I was dating women, I should have married. I didn't believe in monogamy. And so I thought I shouldn't be married. I'm not meant for marriage. Hmm. And so I say to people, marriage isn't for everybody. I, 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 it's not for everybody. And so no different than my promiscuity and lack of belief in monogamy makes me an unfit candidate for marriage that's why i don't believe in same sex marriage i'm just not everybody mm. is meant for marriage and and we we we've created this world through satan through these satanic beliefs that we can have it all and everything is for everybody and we're free now to chase whatever desire and lust is in our heart, whatever impure thought, we're going to legalize it and make it okay. Anything that comes to your mind is okay. And I just, that's got to be the opposite of the gospel. I just can't, because we're so flawed. How can all of our thoughts be legalized? Right. If you have that understanding, and, and there's such a, a lack of humility mm. From the other side. Because mm. I, I recognize like, man, I'm really flawed. I'm really screwed mm. up. And if not for this grace and this understanding yeah, and God. mercy. That's right.
1: I'm a. Re- I'm well, well, that's the truth. That's true of all of us. We come into this world with a sin nature uh, that gravitates to sin and thought, word, and deed. And so if you just say we can do whatever we want, mm. your sin nature is going to take over.
0: That's what's happening. All right, you know me. I keep my ear to the ground for a lot of things. And one of the most important is every time Built Bar, Built Bar comes out with a new flavor. They have 150 calories, 17 grams of protein, only 5 grams of sugar. But who cares about that? What's it taste like? Mm. Basically, this is Built Bar's version of the classic thin mint cookie. All the flavor... Without the sugar. That's exactly what I need. Now, if you're living a breathing, if you're a living, breathing human being, that probably gets you just about as excited as it does me. Built bars are so incredibly delicious that it still amazes me they're healthy for you. All that flavor without the guilt. Speaking of flavor, check out the Grasshopper Cookie or any of the other regular flavors at built.com. Built Bar is the official protein bar of the U.S. Olympic track and field team. And if that doesn't say amazing, protein bar, I don't know what does. Go to Bilt.com and use promo code FEARLESS to save 15% off your first order. Use promo code FEARLESS for 15% off at Bilt.com. Welcome back to this special edition of Fearless with Jason Whitlock the Harmony Edition. We're going to try to do this every Wednesday. Pastor Bobby Harrington, Pastor Orpheus Hayward from Atlanta uh, joining us. Pastor Bobby's from right here in Nashville. These guys are doing an awesome job of taking us through a conversation about critical race theory and just trying to inspire a discussion that will inspire believers and perhaps non-believers to seek a path towards racial harmony. And we've been talking about critical race theory. And, and Bobby walked us through the difference between critical race theory and, and Christianity. But now I want to add some scripture to this so people can take notes and, and we can be talking from a place of substance that we're grounded in the actual gospel. So Bobby, help help back up some of what we've been talking about with some scripture. Yeah. Let's just talk about, if I can, the role of scripture first before we jump
1: in. Because right now, a lot of people don't know who to believe. You don't know, uh, they don't know which news sources to trust. It seems like different news sources live in different universes. And so there's a real crisis of beliefs going on. So let me just say what Orpheus and I uh, believe together. And that is that God has uniquely revealed himself in the person of Jesus and in Scripture. And so the things that we wouldn't know about life, we now know because God revealed them to us. And the order is important. So it comes first in the person of Jesus who shows us the right attitude and mindset. He gave us a model that we would emulate him. And then scripture helps us to be real specific about how Jesus would handle things. So the important thing for us is that we start from a place where we're going to think the way God reveals himself in scripture rather than in critical theory, uh, which is really a a form of Marxism and the philosophy of of post-truth. And so where there's confusion in the culture, God gives us clarity through scripture. And that's where we're coming from. All right. So let's start with, uh, what the Bible says about where we all came from. And one of the clearest passages is in Acts 17. And I think they have it uh, to put on the screen. It literally says, God says, from one man, this is actually the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, from one man, that would be Adam, he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history. And the boundaries of their lands. Now, why did God do this? God did this so that they, which would be us, human beings would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. So the Bible begins with this perspective. We're all made in the image of God. God made us with a desire that we would respond to him and reach out to him and live our lives for God. So Orpheus and I, uh, or Jason, you and I, we all have the same roots. Our skin color does not define us. Being made in the image of God first is what defines us. And uh, we're both uh, made in the image of God. All of us, all races are made in the image of God. And that
0: is where we begin. And this is where I think we have the biggest problem going on in America, why we have so much division. Orpheus, I, I, I debate with my family about this all the time. What's your primary identity? And, and I debate with friends about this and people over social media. Everybody lists, oh, I'm a conservative. Oh, I'm a liberal. Oh, I'm a Democrat. Oh, I'm a Republican. Oh, I'm a husband. Oh, I'm a wife. I'm MAGA. I'm, I'm a resistance. That's always, or you see that more than almost any other identity listed first. They may, at the end of listing all their identities, go, I'm a Christian. <laughs> I'm like, you got the order wrong. <laughs> St- uh, Christian first,
2: above all else. Yeah. I, I got to be right here. I know. <laughs> yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think people confuse their first identity. With what is their primary? So I, I have a first identity. So I am, um, I am an African American. Let's let's say right. Um, but when I get met Jesus, Christianity became my primary identity. So I may have had an identity before I met Jesus, but now that I'm in Christ, it became the primary. And I think that's what people have to differentiate in their minds: is that. We've all had a first identity. We came into this world as human beings, as something, and we start to cultivate our concept of what that identity is. But then Jesus comes into our lives and he then cleanses us and we become a new creature in Christ. Then I have to recognize everything I do now is interpreted through the lenses of my Christianity. And that becomes the means by which I interpret my identity now. So I'm a Christian and I happen to be an African American. I am a Christian and I happen to be a Caucasian. If we can get there, then we'll start to recognize that we can get a, a space of unity. Um, and admittedly, people struggle with this on both sides. Uh, Caucasians struggle with it, African Americans. We, we struggle with it because we've all been impacted yeah. by our context. So you have this person who may believe they are superior in their race. It has everything to do with the context they come from. Or um, an African American feeling like I need to fight for my blackness. Well, in some contexts, sure, but at the same time, the ultimate goal is not just to reach the end all be all in my blackness. It is to recognize that God is the center of all of us and He is through whom we connect. So that's kind of the way I think.
0: I say to people as Christians, particularly public figures Mm -hmm. and, and broadcasters and journalists like myself, we're all popular on social media. We go on TV and do all this other stuff. And, and, and so what I'll ask them to do is just like ask yourself, when them television cameras come on or you tweet out, what's the most dangerous thing you can say in popular culture and popular media? And it's Jesus. Right. They will cut the cameras off. Hey, what? The, <laughs> hey, we don't do that here. All right, there's all kinds of ways they press you not to say yeah, Jesus. Yeah, that's right. But go on TV and say, "I'm black. I'm white. I'm Democrat. Yeah. I'm a Republican. I'm gay." Standing ovation, applause. Over. Say it again. Say it louder. <laughs> say it, girl. Say it. <laughs> <laughs> but if you start with Jesus, trust me. <laughs> Uh, we better not have him back. Easy, <laughs> uh, <lazy.
1: laughs>
0: easy. So
1: what's happening today is, we just stop and think about it for a second. It's the whole idea of intersectionality. Your primary identity is the intersection of your gender, your race. And, and because our culture's bought into that, the traditional Christian idea that I start with who I am in Jesus, and then that is how I interpret or I relate myself. Like uh, in the Bible, it literally says, the Apostle Paul describes it this way. He says, I'm crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, yet Christ lives in me. He sees everything and everyone through the lens of the identity of being in Christ.
2: I'd love to add something to that. just came to my mind sitting here. Is and I think this is one of your scriptures, so I don't want to be premature. No, no, no. no. But in Galatians 3, it's interesting where he says, There's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free male nor female, for we all are one in Christ. And you have extremes in interpreting that passage. It teaches that we can all be one in status. It doesn't say there is no ethnicity, it doesn't say there is no gender. It means we can be unified in spite of the gender and the ethnicity. So we all have to learn how to live with our cultural difference and yet still be able to be unified.
1: That our primary identity is being in Christ. You wanted to see some scriptures, Jason. So let's go to that one. Uh, Galatians 3, here's what it says. Galatians 3, 26 through 29. So in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God. Right. Through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. So the idea is, what's our primary identity now? It's we're in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. He goes on and he just ties the Abraham part into the Jewish heritage. So you can see from this passage, your primary identity, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a genuine Christian, your primary identity is being in Christ. Everything else is secondary.
0: Your last scripture.
1: Okay, it's uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And uh, this may tie in with your earlier point about uh, what's happening in our broader culture. Yep. It, uh, it's a description where it says, for those who trust Jesus and follow scripture, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And then this expression, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And what that passage is saying is that we are involved mentally in warfare. And we want to take the thoughts of God, uh, the teachings of scripture, embed them in our brains so that that's how we look at everything, including race, including critical theory, including our pasts, our present, and our future.
2: Poor Fish, you have anything to add? Um, I, I really, those scriptures or resonate with me because I think they are the way in which we should filter everything that comes into our our context. And when we start looking at people having different ethnicities and different backgrounds and as we deal with our gender differences, um, God is inviting us into this space where he says, you can be one in Christ. And while even within the context of scripture, you had male, female, you had slaves and free, you had those those elements existed, yet in Christ, there was still this, we could be unified in him by not making our statuses and ethnicities the primary. So we have to start getting to the space where we become more unified in Christ. And as uh, Harrington just said, we need to uh, subject our thinking to Uh, the obedience of Christ Jesus and make sure that I check my thought against God's thought. And I think that's the, you know, Jesus in the garden said, uh, let this cup pass from me. But thank God, he said, nevertheless, not my will, but that will be done. We have to check our wills to see whether or not it's lining up with God's.
0: Orpheus, I'm going to ask you one final thought and then we're going to get out of here. uh, Uncle Jimmy may have a question, but this is specific to you, Orpheus, because it's something I struggle with and, and trying to uh, engage and talk with my friends. My belief is the African-American journey is one of the greatest stories ever told. I I think it's a celebration of the power of Jesus Christ, Mm. that you could be brought here in chains and through a relentless faith you can break those chains, recruit other people to join you in breaking those mm-hmm. chains and experience the freedom of religious freedom and just freedom and freedom of thought minded. And we were on such a great course and it was almost it was a biblical story. What we were doing all the way up through Martin Luther King and that generation it's one of the most—it's a miracle. And, mm-hmm. and th- there was a, a senator in the 60s or a congressman in the 60s named Monaghan that did uh, the Monaghan Report. Right. And it came out in 64 or 65. And he basically wrote in there, any other group of people would have been destroyed. He couldn't mm-hmm. understand how we went through from slavery all the way up to 1964 any other group of people would have been destroyed. He could, he was like, it's a miracle that black people survive. And I read when I read that and like fully understood, I was like, that's our faith. That was our faith in Jesus Christ that carried us through all that. And I'm just so concerned that we're becoming so secular that it's almost like I think, and if I'm it's almost like Samson or somebody that's walked away from, and, and we're, mm-hmm. we're in purgatory. I think they jailed Samson. Mm-hmm. And I look at mass incarceration and what's going on with the black men. And it's like mm-hmm. we're jailed all over again because we've walked away from our faith and we have to humble ourselves and return to that. Every solution we're looking for is right there in the Bible for us and we keep looking for other things critical race theory or this politician or that politician oh uh Barack Obama's going to save us Joe Biden uh being against Trump and I just no Jesus it's <laughs> they already he's given us the answers to the test
2: mm, yeah. am, am I <laughs> no I think you're you're correct I think as any conversation I think there are layers to Uh, when we talk about mass incarceration, when we speak about the state of the black man today, I think there's layers of narratives in that conversation that I wouldn't even dream to suggest we could uh, work through all of that. But I do believe that the answer is a rediscovery of a knowledge of self through God helping us to connect to his son, Jesus, to become so acquainted with who I am in Christ and to become acquainted with how God made me in his image, I think reconnecting to that will elevate the thinking of any any race for that matter, black man, white man, anybody. It will raise our thinking so that we can correct some of this malignancy. I have I, long said legislation or the change of legislation is not the ultimate answer to correcting what's going on in this country. Legislation is a part, we have to always evaluate that. But racism and things of that nature are heart issues, and you cannot solve for anybody a heart issue. Only God can enter into the fabric and context of a man's heart to make him think, rethink how he sees other races or other people. So I think when we make racism just a systemic conversation, and not a heart issue, then we miss where God needs to enter into this conversation to correct all of our thinking. So that's my thought process in helping us to get there.
0: You got anything, Jim? Um,
2: real quick, you said that uh, you can't let culture describe our morality. Mm. You know, the, the one thing that I heard discussed all day and with all of these different lifestyles, there's one thing that you can't do with all of these lifestyles, you can't reproduce. And my question is, did God give us sex for pleasure or for the purpose of reproduction?
1: Both. I think that uh, God intended that within marriage, there's the fulfillment of our desires and enjoyment. And it also leads to uh, the multiplication of the human race. Think about it. It's a beautiful thing. Within the confines of a covenant marriage, we enjoy and get closer to our complementary equal, a woman, and uh, yeah. we enjoy it uh, together, and a life is created out of it, and the, the marriage bond becomes a foundation of that family, and it's a beautiful thing.
2: Yeah, this um, Sarah said in the Old Testament when she was past age and she laughed at the notion of having a child, she said, Shall I have pleasure? Well, she's she's putting within the context of sex, mm-hmm. the idea of pleasure, but also included the reproduction. So it's all connected. Uh, so when she says, so I have pleasure when I'm past age or, or, or barren, um, that her question suggested that sex includes pleasure and also is used for reproduction. So we, we believe both. And
1: yeah, you've you've got uh Proverbs five talks about yeah. a young man. i yeah. uh, let the, let your wife's breasts satisfy you always. Yeah. yeah. And uh, things do. like That's this. That's where I got that
0: from. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I got that from. Go ahead, hey, pastor. Come hey, on Let, let, let me add, <laughs> just make that up. Come on now.
1: <laughs> let me add something though. Cause there's an important uh, yeah. uh, nuance here in scripture. You've got this uh, beauty of the marriage relationship, but you've also got the promotion of, of uh, a single man. Jesus was a single man. The Apostle Paul was a single man. man. Uh, There's this section in 1 Corinthians 7 where it talks about there's advantages to a single life. Now it's a single celibate life where you're serving God. Uh, But Scripture assumes and encourages us that's a good thing and it's also a possible thing. You can live that kind of life. Hmm. Hmm.
0: I'm trying this way. <laughs> All right. Hey, awesome. Thank you so much. If you guys could take us out on a prayer, we'd love it. All right. God, we uh, commit this
1: uh, whole recording today to you. Mm. God, you love people more than any of us ever could. And uh, we just pray for this nation. Uh, and we pray that you'd turn the hearts of everyone to the ways of Jesus.
2: We thank you, O Lord, for the opportunity to speak as your representatives and to inform people of your will. May these words find a home on a welcoming conscience and we pray that everything we've stated is in harmony with your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
0: That's it and that's all for us. We'll see you tomorrow.